Welcome to the Media Careers Podcast. My name is Carrie Wooten, and through this podcast, we're going to be speaking to people from across the media industry to learn about their education, their career paths, and their job roles. We'll discover what has motivated them and led them to undertake a career in the industry and what has kept them working within it. Where we can, we'll show as many links to organisations and individuals who can support and guide you through your journey into the media industry. We really hope you enjoy this series. delve into the world of audio and radio. Aradna Tayolich is the Managing Director of the Radio Academy. Having grown up in Manchester and attended school there, Aradna undertook a Masters of Engineering degree at Cambridge University. She then moved on to spend a significant amount of her career at the BBC, having started as a trainee broadcast engineer in 2004, moving through to become a lead technologist in 2016. From here, Aradna worked as a consultant across the industry, working with organisations such as the film and TV charity and Sadler's Wells. In 2016, Aradna also co-founded TBC Media Limited and is the director of Radio Techcon, the UK's audio and radio broadcast technology conference. She is also a committee member of the Royal Television Society London. Aradna, welcome to the Media Careers podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. So on this podcast, we always like to start at the beginning, and um, I'd love to know what you were like as a child and whether you had any particular interests or hobbies as a young person. Yeah, what were you, what were you like? Um, yeah, I had loads. Um, I, I really lo- I loved stories. I remember writing my first story very young. It was, it was about clowns. I was obviously a child that wasn't scared of clowns. <laughs> Um, I loved parties so it was a, a clown party and I was very young I remember showing it to my mum and dad and um, basking in praise because it was five pages long um, <laughs> and so and so I continued um, sort of making up and writing stories I was also massively into dancing and singing so that that was my raison d'etre and I, I was in um, dance classes from the age of you know, four or five, um, and you know, right up to graduation, and um, Bharatnatyam, which is a South Indian classical dance style, mm-hmm. um, and then also you know, singing classes, and I was in choir at school. I did Indian singing at home and music, some harmonia, again, an Indian classical music and piano, and just anything to do with you know, arts, music, and dancing. Yeah, so you were quite creative. You were kind of taking on creative subjects through through all of your hobbies as a young person then. Um, it, do you think you were aware of the media industry broadly at that age or was it just that actually those are your passions and you had and that's where your interests were? Um, I had absolutely no comprehension of the word media, let no. alone it being an industry. Um, it's it's just what we did. And I, I think actually, to be fair, a lot of that um, goes back to my culture. My parents were from India. Um, Bollywood was a huge part of our lives. And, you know, music and dance is a huge part of Bollywood. Yeah. And also um, to my parents, you know, my mum uh, loved music um, and dancing still does. Um, my, my dad uh love singing so it was just something that was always in our family mm. and um you know and of course we watched we watched tv and we we as I said loved films especially as a family um but I didn't I didn't think of it as 
an industry it was just no. it was just that thing no. was the box in the corner that played the cartoons <laughs> <laughs> but interesting that kind of creativity was all around you both you know through the hobbies you were doing and through your family and the kind of hobbies that you undertook together as a family whether that was singing or dancing yeah um, and it was just a lot of fun you yeah know what I mean it was just you know parties and dancing that's just it was a lot of fun and I would say you know as much as I was very physically able as a dancer and you know um studied dance for many many years I, I wasn't really all that great in sport so you know did did bits and bobs but never really excelled but I would say you know I I got to try a lot of different things a lot of different hobbies outside of school and studying and sort of you know the academic side of school yeah and and what were you like academically were you were you an academic young person I I was actually yeah always was and and again you know partly my parents were very very strict when it came to you know studying they they were very kind of you know whatever you do whether it's school or dancing or singing and ideally do all of them (laughs) and and you will do it well and be the best (laughs) no pressure (laughs) um but I, I was really strong at, uh, academically at school as well. And, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was a bit of an all-rounder. So, you know, I, as I said, I loved writing stories. So, and I read avidly. Um, and I was really interested in and good at maths in particular um, and also science. Yeah. So do you, did you embrace that at GCSEs and we actually started having to take qualifications and did your family help you shape those decisions or was it just all natural, your natural skill sets in terms of actually I was quite good at maths. So, well, obviously maths you have to do anyway, but sciences, did yeah. you? I mean, at GCSE, um, to be honest, there wasn't really a huge amount of decision making. It felt very, very important at the time, but my school um they had seven sort of compulsory GCSEs out of 10 anyway so you had to do maths English language English literature um most people did three sciences I did so you know chemistry biology and physics um some people did dual science and you had to do French and then you had to do uh either history or geography so I did geography and then um and then that kind of only leaves two. Yeah. So, yeah. so then I wanted to do a language and you could only do one extra language. I would have, I think I would have liked to do both Spanish and German, but I did German and then I did Latin. And then also actually outside of school, um, as I, I really was academic. I was going to say, <laughs> um, you really were. <laughs> so we, um, uh, I did a religious studies um, GCSE in Hinduism okay. and Sikhism, and and that was brand new. Um, kind of, you know, had only only been started to be offered a couple of years ago. Uh, so that was a sort of a Saturday school thing. Amazing, amazing. So that process of kind of finishing your GCSE, did you did you know then that kind of the creative side of you might be a route that you'd go down as a career, or were you still thinking? Or, you know, was media on your radar then when you're kind of 16 going into A-levels or still not really? Yeah, so that's when it starts getting really interesting mm. and really, really stressful. So yeah. I my birthday's in August, so I was always one of the youngest uh, at school. So I was 14 when I was starting to think about A-levels and I used to write a diary 
And um, and I've still got at age 14, sort of, you know, the weight of the world on my shoulders of this decision that I make now is going to be the whole of my life. Yeah. And and it it was a huge amount of pressure. And I remember writing about, oh, well, maybe I want to be an astrophysicist. I, I don't really know where that came from. But, you know, <laughs> on one side, it's like, OK, that's really exciting. You know, it's sort of this I was talking about these concepts around, you know, it will be really cool to study space and the universe. And then, you know, about three lines later in this diary, I start talking about, oh, but, you know, I, I've I've heard that it's actually really difficult to get into those um, university degrees and that as a career and as a profession. So it might be really difficult um, and therefore not really viable or not really sure. Maybe I should have a look at something else or what's similar or something to, you know, kind of really big questions about what I might do and what the state of those industries might be in, I don't know, 10, 15 years when I actually reach there. Mm. And then another page later, I start writing about, well, what I really want to do is dance and sing and act. You know, can you, can you do that? I don't think I can read you. Well, I'll just carry on doing it. Um, and actually, to be fair, I, I still hadn't thought about, oh, well, maybe I could go and work in the media. I think the idea of the media industry still wasn't on my radar, mm. but I was started to to see that there were jobs I think I just didn't match the fact that 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 there was someone making tv mm. and making radio with something that I might be able to do or that I might work towards you know <clears throat> and I think some of that was just because I didn't know anyone doing anything like that it just seemed so distant yeah um I went to um I, I got to go to see the recording of it's eight till eleven from Manchester. It was like the Saturday morning um sort of kids and young people show. And it was at the BBC in the studio on Oxford Road in Manchester. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go and sit in the audience and um so I, you know, I obviously knew that you could go when there were people working in the building, but it it just absolutely zero connection with me and those people doing that job. Mm. I would say there was a bit of a closer connection with um with radio and um you know recording songs onto cassette tape off the radio and then recording your own links and then you know <laughs> getting a friend to pretend that they were phoning in and you were the presenter you know so that was something that you did at home for fun. Yeah. Um but I I still didn't make the connections. No. So and then, then you... in terms of um, yeah. making the decision of, of okay, so what am I going to do? Um, I think, I, you know, I was very heavily influenced by my parents and this idea of, well, what job can you get? It all came down to that. And being a bit of an all-rounder and, and enjoying, you know, arts and humanities as well as maths and science, um, I actually ended up, you know, with the encouragement of my mum in particular, uh, studying maths, double maths, physics, chemistry, and general studies at A level. Wow, that's because, those are hardcore I mean, subjects. <laughs> yeah, so hardcore maths and science, you know, very much yeah. on a particular path. Two reasons. One, um, when I suggested to my mum that I might study English, she she looked a little bit horrified because what you know what job can you do like how how does that translate to a job it's like just not understanding that there might be options my parents were both engineers that's sort of what they knew and they didn't see where there might be opportunities and neither did I mm. and the other thing 
uh, which I, I sort of stand by actually, is I thought, well, I, I enjoy all of those subjects. I'm never going to stop writing, reading, watching things, learning about the world, um, speaking French. But if I don't study in a formal sense, maths and physics, then I'm never, I'm never going to read a maths book. It's just not going to happen. I, I didn't yeah. have that level of interest, but I really enjoyed studying it. Um, and so that's what I did. And, and I think that was a good decision for me at the time. And I did mm. carry on writing and reading and singing and dancing yeah. and went on to study maths and physics and then ultimately engineering. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of helping you to inform those decisions that you make about actually what motivation do you have to continue to do those as hobbies and think, as you said, things that you can then continue rather than what you have motivation for, for studying. I think that's a really, really interesting and, and sensible approach actually. So then you complete your A-levels and then you go on to study engineering at university. Was Were you still thinking about a career in engineering as a kind of strict engineering? Or again, had media started to filter in there that actually broadcast engineering and kind of audio and radio were kind of a path that you could be going down at that point? Um, when I went to start studying engineering, it, it still wasn't available to me as a path um it the decision to study engineering was just a a lack of clarity on what else I was going to do in a way <laughs> I yeah. I enjoyed studying maths and physics at school so I was like well I could do a bit more of the same don't want to do either maths or physics or engineering that's a bit of both and a bit more practical that'll do <laughs> <laughs> and um and you know it it felt like a, a good option uh, at the time you know although engineering was sadly undervalued still is in in the UK although I hope that's changing um, in India where my family are from uh, in in Germany across Europe in America Canada engineers are very highly regarded as a really important and respected profession mm -hmm. so that link that I was talking about earlier of oh well I'm gonna have to get a job like what am I gonna do um made sense in in um the realms of oh, okay well I could do I could study engineering I don't know exactly what I'm going to do afterwards you know there were various ideas yeah. um but it was it was a sort of a well school's been okay more of the same mm -hmm. and in the same vein um I carried on dancing and singing you know I was in choir all the way through school and I actually I, I uh, graduated in Bharatanatyam as well the the equivalent is called a, a arangetram which is um you're a, it's a two and a half hour performance it's sort of nine pieces dance pieces that you have to perform wow. with live music so you know in a way that that was my bigger achievement than getting my A levels you know and so I carried on in that vein when I went to university I was studying engineering but I spent every waking minute you know dancing meeting other dancers doing different types not just about Matthew, you know going off and doing contemporary dance like learning about theatre started stage managing shows and producing producing okay. um you know sort of followed what felt right at the mm. time yeah um and it's it's just looking back that I now see that and, I, and the reason I wanted to say that is because I spent most of my time especially my early career 
hearing people talk about their journey and just thinking oh gosh we well, had it all planned out and <laughs> actually you know I'm looking back and you know somebody might listen to me and say oh wow you, you know from then you knew I did not know I did not know <laughs> I was just doing some stuff that made me happy and that yeah. felt good and right and I felt passionate about and then somehow those threads because they were true to me they were what I really cared about just followed me along and guided some of my decisions and now 20 years on I look back and go oh yeah Mm. oh yeah that was always there this feels right yeah and I think that's a really important point that kind of following what makes you fulfilled what makes you happy what and and also what you're good at what you know you love studying like pulling all of you don't necessarily need to pull all, all of those threads together, but if you're, as you're, as you say, if you're true to yourself and love and in following what you enjoy, then actually there's a way to come for that to come together and lead you on a career path that you might not have even thought of, which is kind of definitely where where your journey uh, and this story tells us. So you leave Cambridge, and, and then what? What? How, how do you get your first job in the industry? What's that kind of stepping stone after after leaving Cambridge? Um, so it. It finally, media um, became a a thing in my head at the end of my first year in Cambridge. And it was because my my director of studies had come across um, a a call out from the BBC who were looking for women who were studying engineering and might be interested to come and do um, a, a placement at the BBC. And that was that was something that she saw and she immediately then passed it on to me as I think this will suit you <laughs> ah amazing so she saw that the yeah. kind of potential pathway that's really interesting and so that was the first time that I saw oh you mean I could get a job at the BBC <laughs> and doing the things that you love as well and doing engineering and that kind of skill set that you've been studying for so long yeah. yeah and it so just hadn't crossed I, on your radar till then that's really I just didn't know about it yeah so I I mean I grabbed it I applied um I got accepted and um if it wasn't for that scheme that the BBC was doing and sharing it everywhere I I just wouldn't have known that I could go and be an engineer at the BBC and mm. when I found out everything came together you know it it just felt like this this is the dream you know because I love stories and you know theatre and performance and you know which essentially is it's television right yeah and I'm an engineer and I want to pursue that engineering and and I can do both at the (laughs) BBC what (laughs) so that that's when everything changed and that's when I I knew that, you know, it was about 18, I suppose, by then. And interestingly, a lot of people, uh, most of them men, because there weren't that many women, um, had known about this job and wanted to do it since they were five years old. And Mm. and I came across it for the first time, age 18. And suddenly I was like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. So that's interesting. No one at my school really knew 
engineering they were sort of like oh right yeah okay you know it was it was because my parents and in particular my mum you know as a woman was an engineer that's why I thought oh yeah I could do engineering nobody else knew about it nobody sort of suggested oh well you're you're really into theatre and dancing you know could could this be a route for you until um, there was a scheme and if it wasn't for a dedicated let's get more young women in engineering at the BBC if it wasn't for schemes like that then I certainly wouldn't have known about it Mm -hmm. and it's again something that has really you know driven me to make sure that that those sorts of schemes initiative communications um uh, out there and that it shouldn't just be limited to oh let's send out this internship to a university it should be just out there in the world I was watching television why didn't I know that this was a job so that's Mm. kind of also more specifically really driven my lifelong passion um you know from my first job as as a trainee engineer at the BBC when it was nothing to do with my job but I I still did that because I just thought but this is brilliant and I might have never known yeah and that opportunity could have kind of passed you by and you yeah you'd gone on a completely different path and I would just like to say if anyone's listening that the BBC have regular broadcast apprenticeship broadcast engineering apprenticeships they advertise them on a yearly basis and we'll put some links on to the show notes about about that as well but those opportunities are there for young people so those kind of schemes do still still exist so if you're interested in kind of the broadcast engineering pathway then definitely check those out and there are so many more of those as well now I can I'm really happy to share some links you know in radio there's there's many more there's global academy there's um some brilliant organizations the the radio academy where I work we've got a, a careers advice uh, page on our website anyone can go and you can just learn about what all of these different jobs are um, Sky have apprenticeships ITV ITN have apprenticeships yeah. there's a lot more out there and you still might not know about them so hopefully teachers listening to this will look them up and yeah. um, parents listening just have a look and see if it feels like a fit for you yeah so so going back to your career you then start once you've leave Cambridge, you're then got a job at the BBC as a trainee broadcast engineer, and you're there for 11, 12 years. That's, I mean, and the BBC is one of those places. I, I did a small stint at the BBC, and I totally get that kind of feeling, going, if this is the BBC, how extraordinary is this? But what was that part of your career, like kind of working as a broadcast engineer and, make, and making your way up to lead technologist as well? Um, It, it was a lot more... Um, uh, diverse than it sounds I mean it it was it's funny hearing it described as you know from trainee broadcast engineers lead technologist that sounds like a really obvious path that's certainly not the one that I followed <laughs> um I I worked as an engineer for about I don't know four or five five years I think and then I I left and I became a, a engineering trainer, so te- broadcast technology trainer. So that was training um, new trainee engineers like I had been, but also training current engineers and technical staff on new systems that were coming in, new workflows, new studios. Um, I was there while the the BBC's um, building Media City in Salford was built. 
and a, a brand new broadcast centre, new broadcasting house in the centre of London was built. And when they were built, you know, it was all new technology, new sound desks, new recording equipment, new ways of working. Um, and so I got involved with training current staff, you know, people much, much more experienced than me, but on the new systems and new ways of work and new workflows. And then through that, I actually got more involved outside of um, radio and audio as well into television training, into news. And it was while I was at, at the BBC Academy, which still exists, it's, that's the, the BBC sort of training and development arm I got more involved in um, what else does training mean? So it's not just about sitting in a course and learning something and getting an, getting an accreditation. Um, there's something about developing the way that you think and, you know, making new connections and meeting different people, um, continuing professional development, you know, lifelong learning. And that's at every stage of your career. So I got a lot more involved in that and started running events. Um, I ran an initiative called BBC Women in Engineering um, and, and away from engineering, I, I also um produced some events called Fast Train which was the first time that I started looking outside of the BBC um, and saying well actually um, there are freelancers who are on you know potentially short-term contracts some as short as just a day to come in edit something and leave mm -hmm. and our industry the media industry um needs freelancers it's not just about employed positions in companies big or small it's about people who are working for themselves and um, have a particular craft or skill or um, experience and they come in whether it's on one show whether it's a project whether it's long term and and so we got involved in offering training and development for freelancers as well as just within the BBC. So it was all a bit of a journey. And then I went off and worked in, you know, that was a bit of production. I ran BBC Shorts, which was a short film festival. Um, I went off and, and worked in television distribution and, and on the Commonwealth Games. Um, and then I worked in archives. So I, I jumped around. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, and this is this is another thing, you know, like, don't let anyone put you in a box, you know, <laughs> just because I went into broadcast engineering doesn't mean that suddenly I have no interest or skills in production or storytelling or running an event, you know, I, I can do all of the above and, and I found, I jumped around, I learned a huge amount, I went and worked in entry-level positions, you know, five, six years into my career to go and work with someone who was really cool and there was an opportunity there um, and I learned about what they did um, so I, I had a lot of opportunity at the BBC because I took it and I, I didn't stick to a traditional route um, and it, it eventually led me to just kind of a thirst for more so that's probably why I would say in 2016 I, I made the decision to leave the BBC and um and pursue doing more of that kind of what what drives me what fulfills me more widely in the the media industry mm, and, then, and I think that that happens quite a lot now where you have 
what's termed as a portfolio career where you have diff- you exactly what you're saying that you have lots of different interests and passions and you and you have all of these amazing skill sets so you can be doing projects over here and projects over here and and building that portfolio of different of different expertise and knowledge and and, and projects that you're working on so that kind of portfolio freelance career you've been doing for the last what's that that's a kind of oh, six seven years but more recently you've been announced as the managing director of the radio academy so huge congratulations on that it's amazing <laughs> news much. I'd love to know but I've got two questions for you one is what is the radio academy and then two more specifically about your role so let's start with the radio academy tell us tell us what the radio academy is so the Radio Academy is um, a charity. It's it's uh, the UK's charity for the audio and radio industry. So that means that we're here with a charitable objective to promote, celebrate and support the audio industry. And what is the audio industry made of? It's all of the people who work in the audio industry. So um, the Radio Academy is supporting all those people. Um, We run um, training days to bring people in. We uh, run events. So there's monthly events and uh, various events happening all over the country where people can come and meet each other. We might have guest speakers where you learn a little bit about a different part of audio maybe to the one that you work in or from someone who is a role model. Uh, One of our recent ones, we had Fleur East in conversation talking about her spectacular career and what drives her. Um, we've got a couple of events coming up so those are really important you know what I was talking about lifelong learning you never stop learning and developing um, outside of the classroom as well we also run the ARIAs as the audio and radio industry awards and they're promoting the highest level of you know audio achievement so you know the the best UK breakfast show, uh, best storytelling, the best uh, drama, the best audio book. I'm really kind of hopefully inspiring others to just look at what can be achieved and promoting the power of audio and radio and storytelling and and the importance that we have in people's lives and society and you know how how we make an impact. And hopefully through that also inspiring, you know, all of us that work in audio to kind of keep going and keep, you know, aspiring to to have that, you know, impact in people's lives, being their friend in the car when you're you're drifting off and you just you just need to hear your favorite songs and your favorite <laughs> presenter having a chat with you. Yeah. Um and we also run um so uh, events like that. The, but the Young Audio Awards is something that I'm really proud of. Um, so this is something I'd I'd recommend everyone looking up. Um, and hopefully this will inspire you if you don't have a school radio programme or, you know, then maybe, maybe you could start one or maybe you could get involved. And so the Young Audio Awards is celebrating um, kind of the rising stars, uh, children and young people who are, uh, making brilliant audio and some that I just think well we we should be broadcasting this right now this is this is brilliant um we have mentoring programs <laughs> yeah yes, there's a lot yeah it's extraordinary what a great what a great charity and, and a great charity for everyone to be aware of as well particularly if you are interested in the kind of radio and audio side of the industry so your role is managing director 
So as you've kind of outlined your career since kind of that kind of traineeship has done all sorts of different kind of pathways and journeys. And I imagine all of those different skill sets that you've built up have kind of led to this to this role as well. So as a managing director of the Radio Academy, what does that actually what does that actually mean? Like we hear the term managing director quite a lot in terms of business. But what does that mean for you and and leading this this organization? It's it's a really good question because I think it means something different in every organization yeah, from I what think I it, can gather. Yeah. So what does it yeah, what I think you're right. So so what does it mean yeah. for you? Practically, um, it means actually doing a lot of operational stuff. So yeah. um, as I said, we we have a lot of events. So I'm working um with other freelancers who work with us as well on producing those events so finding the speakers reaching out to them asking them to come booking um a venue and you know ordering the the catering and um paying the bills and you know you know looking after our budget and spreadsheets so you know it's it's all of that kind of operational side of things you, you know with with the support of my team um right up to um, the strategy and looking at, okay, so what actually do we do? So all those many, many different events, you know, what are they achieving? What impact are they having? What aren't we doing? Who aren't we supporting? Where are the gaps? So kind of doing that analysis and then putting a strategy in place to make sure that more of that is happening. And as the audio industry's charity, I believe that a really important part is recognizing that we can't and shouldn't and won't do this alone it's about our partnerships it's about bringing everybody in the industry together to work on that whether they're different independent organizations uh, focusing on different areas whether they're the broadcasters or production companies or whether they're the freelancers who as I've said are the lifeblood of our industry it's it's working with all of those people to keep amplifying and doing more to make sure that people are supported. Well, it's, it's extraordinary. So um, congratulations. I can't, uh, can't wait to see how the Radio Academy continues to, to grow and flourish under your leadership. Um, I've got a couple more questions before we wrap up. What, so we've t- kind of talked about the progression of your career. I suppose one of my questions is we know that any working environment and an education environment as well actually has some bumps and challenges along the way not everything is smooth sailing have there been times where you found things challenging in your career and and how have you overcome them yeah definitely there's there's always um challenges obstacles things that feel hard those moments when you just think what's the point in any of it I, I don't understand what's happening um I think you know, something that I talked about earlier that I really see as a super strength and, and um, you know, one of my superpowers is just having done so much stuff and so many different things. Um, I've often felt that that has been challenging. It's been an obstacle. Why can't I just get a job and stick in it and somebody progresses me and gives me those promotions? I, I deserve them. I worked so hard for them. I achieved so much. I'm not getting those jobs, you know, and that's a real issue and my way around it was well I'll go and do that thing over there then or I'll I'll go and do a bit of this or you know and I I move around a lot and now I think well that's great nobody has the sort of diverse experience that I have in my own lived experience so I really own that 
but it's not easy and especially as a freelancer when your your actual income and paying the rent relies on getting that job but even as an employee when I was at the BBC or why why am I on 10k less than that person why why can't I get that job am I am I not good enough like how how did they move into that um so I think in in those times there's a lot about the the number one thing is having people to talk to and um, people within the industry as well as your own support network you know lean into your friends and family they don't need to know about the industry they know you and they're there to support you and just to sort of have a sense check and and kind of help you to look after yourself to keep going but also um really important to have your mentors, your champions, your support network in the industry, they don't have to be your friends. You don't have to be hanging out together on a Saturday. It's your professional network. And I think this is the number one thing that helps you get through whatever the obstacle is. You've got people that will help. So final final question for you, Radna. What advice would you give to people looking to get into the industry? And I'm thinking particularly from kind of a radio and audio perspective. Um, what, yeah, what top tips would you give them? Um, my top first tip is if you want to uh, make audio, then go and make audio. Uh, do it now. Uh, I mentioned that maybe your your school or college might have um, a radio station or or set up a podcast can you get involved if not could you ask if there could be something like that um and it will it will give you sort of a, a real understanding of what's involved because you'll learn about storytelling you'll learn about you know how to interview someone what sort of stories do you want to tell you'll you learn about yourself um is there a community radio station um, that is local to you where you can do some work experience or an internship and and start learning oh, okay well how does this equipment work what what does that do how do you how do you edit something so you can start doing that straight away and you gain a lot of experience and also you'll learn a lot about well which which are the bits that really drive you so is it that you want to be on the radio um or is it that actually you're really, really good at when somebody else has done the interview and comes to you, you just see the story there and you can edit it together or you just get the equipment. Nobody nobody seems to understand how this equipment works, but you really get it and you can help people get the most from it, how to sound better. Um, you're staying a- across, you know, latest innovations and seeing that actually there's this other way that's going to make our lives so much easier and just free up space to be able to do things in a, a different way or-, or just get a little bit more interesting. Um, so you'll learn all of those different roles just by doing it. And and then the other thing is do keep reaching out to other people. It's not something that I would advise you go and do by yourself. Um, if you will come with your skills, somebody else will have a completely different skill set, especially if you reach out and find people who aren't like you. Go and find someone who's really different to you and they'll have different skills to you. And then suddenly when the two of you come together, that's where the magic happens. So start finding those other people. 
Um, and then there's a lot of resources available. So you're you're listening to this podcast. So well done. You've started the journey. <laughs> um, have a look at the careers advice on the Radio Academy website. Um, go and look up all of those. Just think about who you like listening to. Which are your favorite podcasts? What do you listen to on the radio? What do you pop on when you know, we're in the car somewhere? Um, and then look up those companies because a lot of them actually have resources on their websites or people who are talking about what they do. Uh, there's loads of tips on social media, for example, about um, how to use the microphone in a better way, how to, you know, catch that little tidbit. So all of those things you can start doing right now like follow your passion that there are some really brilliant courses out there you know dedicated media training courses and degrees and diplomas you don't have to do one of those to be able to work in audio I I studied engineering and I work in audio you could study fine arts and become the the you know expert in art and then go and work in radio you and, and um whether it's on a podcast to do with fine arts or whether it's something completely different it doesn't matter you know it's it's an experience to go and do something that you're really passionate about find out what else you could be doing meet other people and that will that will take you through your whole life it'll make you different to everybody else because you followed your course and nobody else is like you um so those are my top tips I love those top tips. They are amazing. And I think that's the perfect place to finish. Oh, Radna, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.